microphone's on. First, I want to thank everybody for having me up here. And uh, thank you for got you guys for being the church you are. Um, I just want to say that you guys are truly blessed to have a pastor like Seth. I've known Seth for about two years. And I used to attend church here on Sunday nights when he was downtown off of Main Street. And getting to know Seth has been a wonderful pleasure. And I hope that you guys will follow after his example as he follows after Christ. And I just, I just hope you guys know how wonderful he is. And I just want to open this up in prayer. Dear Lord, we come before you and we just thank you for everything you've given us. We thank you for what you have not given us, Lord. I just pray that as we come before you today in worship and study of your word, I just pray that you would show us what we need to hear. You would show us what we need to see. I pray that you would help us walk this Christian life, that we would live unselfish lives. I pray that we can see that in the life of Paul the Apostle. I pray that we can see that in the life of Christ Jesus. Lord, I just thank you for everything you've given us. And I do want to pray that you would be with Seth today as he's introduced to LifePoint. And I just pray that that goes well and you would be with him. And Lord, I just thank you for everything you've given us. Just be with us today. Be with everyone out on the roads as it's raining. The weather's wet. And I just pray this all in Jesus' name. All right. Who here knows anything about the book of Philippians? Anybody? Anything? Raise your hand. Come on. If you know something. All right, little redhead down here, little sister. What do you know? Somebody. <laughs> okay. Well, oftentimes this is peop- this is one of the books in the New Testament that people see as their favorite book. Why is that? Often because people see it as a book of joy. They see. The, the word joy is used over 20 times in variant, variant ways. But also we have to recognize that the word, the, the name Jesus and the title Christ is used in the book of Philippians over 50 times. One of the main themes of this book is, is koinonia. That's the Greek word for fellowship. And that's one of the reasons I picked this is because I see true koinonia fellowship in this church. And I think that's something you need to hold on to. And I, I just thank God for that. And I just, I truly see that here. And that's one of the main themes in this book. But the book of Philippians has a rich history. It begins with a man called Philip II. He was able to organize great groups together and to rally people behind a purpose. As he was gathering his military together, he needed money. As we can imagine, it's expensive to put a military together. So, in all the areas around Macedonia, he starts to annex all the gold and extract all the gold. And one of these little regions is called Crenides, or the place of many fountains. This is due to multiple springs. And so Philip enlarged this town. He began extracting the gold from this region. Philip was, Philippi is the high road, or Crenides is the high road between Europe and Asia. This led Philip to fortify it he was so fond of this city that he named it after himself, Philippi. Now we know where the title Philippi comes from. The history of this city continues through and long past his son, Alexander the Great. I'm sure many of us 
have heard that name before. If it weren't for Alexander the Great and Philip of Macedonia, it's said that Paul would not have been able to preach the gospel because they Hellenized the whole known world at that point in time. And this is, this is very true and a very good statement. It later became the perfect scene for such characters such as Brutus and Cassus, the avengers of the, the vengeance, the people that applied vengeance to Julius Caesar. They assassinated him, stabbing him. And even people such as Octavian, who would become the next August one, or the next Augustus. And even for Mark Antony, who was spurred by his obsession with the Egyptian queen, Cleopatra. Now we have all these names, and many more, that surround the city of Philippi in the book of Philippians. But these people have had a major impact on our lives today as we know them. They've had a major impact on our civilization as we know it. But we want to start and look at a person, not, not a historical figure. He is a historical figure, but not for us. He's a man that wrote a letter to a small gathering of the city of Philippi. He is a man who was in, in prison. He is a man that is called the Apostle Paul. And, man, this, this guy is pretty awesome. And this is something we really need to look at. Now, for the immediate context, Paul was most likely living in a two-story building. He didn't build him any higher than that because they would collapse. Hmm. <laughs> and he was living in this two-story building or apartment. And now, we're comfortable in our home getting up and going to the restroom. But Paul has a bucket and a window. That's not so comfortable. Also, he is literally chained to a Roman guard. Literally. He has a shackle on his wrist. The guard has a shackle on his wrist. So these are the circumstances in which Paul is living. Now we must look at Paul's relationship to the Philippians because it was something of a special one. He, he had a special fondness for these Philippian church. From the latter part of the letter, we learn that the Philippians were willing to support Paul's missionary efforts in other towns from the beginning. We learn that he gave, they gave him help even during times when other churches were either unable or unwilling to assist him. We learn that even in nearby Thessalonica, Paul's missionary efforts received financial assistance from the Philippians more than once. We learn that the Philippians joined other Macedonian churches in supporting Paul's stormy missionary trip in Corinth. That was a whole other ordeal, and they were supporting him. Paul, even in the letter to the Corinthians, says he uses the Philippians as an example of the, a people that have the grace of giving. No, oh, what, what a title. What an example. Paul uses them as an example. I want us to think about that for a minute. As a people that have the grace of giving. That's, that's, that's something to be said of these people right there. Also, we learn, and finally we learn, that all this generosity, moreover, came not from any abundance of resources, but from poverty. 2 Corinthians 8. Man, this, does this say something about why Paul holds these people in high esteem? And why they're special to him? During a time of often difficult relationships with his other churches, Paul must have valued this tangible and this sacrificial support of his efforts to proclaim the gospel, which he loved so very much, of genuine friendship. Hmm. 
Now to the text. Paul's chains of progression. And the, now, I was thinking about this morning as I was studying this a little bit more. And when we see chains, what do we think? Enslavement. When we see people in chains, what do we think? We think, you're not going anywhere. They're chained down. Right? Well, God used Paul's chains as a means to progress the Gospel of Jesus Christ. In the same way that people view David and Goliath. This is what I thought about. David and Goliath. Everybody saw David, this little man, this little little teenager, not even 20 years old. And they saw David, this Goliath, this huge giant, almost 10 feet tall. Humanly speaking, there is no way. Right? This guy's coming at him with a sword and a spear. And David's got what? What's David have? A sling and a stone? That's, that in itself is pretty crazy. Alright, so finally to the text. Philippians 1.12-20 Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the Gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of me, because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the Word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the Gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. But then, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this, I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. This will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Oh, I love, I love this Scripture. It's pretty amazing. The Apostle Paul is a pretty amazing guy. Now, we have to realize that in the ancient letter, the ancient letter, they would do the salutation, the introduction, the body, but these Philippians were worried. They were worried about Paul. They had a deep relationship. They were supporting the Apostle. And Paul's in prison, and they're worried about him. If, if we had somebody, a good friend, unjustly put in prison, and we know it for a fact, because we know this man, we know his heart, if he's put in prison, we would be worried about him. We'd be asking questions like, is he okay? Are they hurting you? Are you getting enough sleep? What, what's going on? With, what's going on? What's the verdict going to be? You think? What, how does, how's he doing? Those are the questions we would be asking. And don't you think that Paul? What do you think Paul would be asking in this situation? Would he be saying, "Oh man, when, when am I going to get out of this stinking cell? When am I going to get a real bathroom?" No, Paul immediately. Paul immediately diverts the attention to the gospel. Immediately. He does not focus on his personal circumstances, but he focuses on the progress of the divine gospel. 
This is very significant. Because oftentimes in my life, I tend to focus on my human circumstances. I often tend to focus on me. I focus on I, my things, myself, but not Paul, not, not this great apostle. What's he do? He focuses on the divine gospel, not his human circumstances. This is very significant. How can being chained to a Roman guard mean progress for the gospel? Well, that, this, is just, this is another thing. I, I thought about this a lot, a lot. Now, I can just imagine this Roman guard, as we said before, Paul's chained to a Roman guard. I can imagine this Roman guard coming up with his chains and his shackles, slapping that thing on Paul's wrist, slapping it on his, and the guard going, oh, I've got you now, buddy. You're under my supervision. Oh, man. I can just imagine Paul saying, oh, you're under my preaching now, buddy. Oh, can't you just imagine Paul saying something like that, doing something like that? You're, you're under my preaching now. You get to hear what I have to say. You get to hear what the Word of God has to say. Now, wouldn't we assume that if a Roman guard comes in contact with this prisoner, that the Roman guard is going to influence him? But that's not what we see in the text. We see that Paul also influences the Roman guard. I'm sure the guard had some effect on Paul to some, to some extent. But this is another application of this text in that the circumstances we're in, no matter what they are, we can influence the other person too. No matter what it is, we can influence them too. It's not just a one-way street. It's not just a one-way street. Now, I, nothing can stop Paul from proclaiming the gospel. We can see that already. That Paul was going to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is very significant. And this is why it was becoming well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. How is, it, how is this becoming well known? How, how is everybody finding out about, these, about this, this prisoner, this Roman citizen who was indicted for preaching the Word of God? This Roman citizen who is still preaching the Word of God even though he's in prison. Even though he's chained to a Roman guard. And what's this whole business, what's all this business about the Praetorian Guard and the Gospel? Well, the Praetorian Guard were the snap, crackle, and pop guards of Paul's day. They, they were the special forces. They were the individuals that personally guarded the king, the emperor. These were the individuals that were tough and gruff and rude. These were the last people you would expect to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't, isn't that kind of, that's kind of how I see it. And I think that's how Paul saw it. These are the last people that you would expect to see that from. And I can just imagine these guards coming in, and some of them saying, oh, i got to go in there with that guy again. You know? Somebody, you know those people, they go on and go on and talk about the same thing over and over and over. And at times we're just like, oh, I, I have to admit I do this every once in a while. That every once in a while I, go, I really don't want to go listen to them right now. I'm really not in the mood. 
I really, really don't feel like that today. I can just imagine that some of those guards were thinking the same thing. But I can also imagine some of those guards saying, man, what's this guy talking about? Is, is this real? All this talk about this man from Jesus of Nazareth. All this talk about this guy that was crucified. All this talk about this, this guy that resurrected. Is this real? I can just imagine some of those Roman guards getting a spark of interest and being excited to go talk to Paul again. Can't you? I can. I can just imagine that. And Paul, Paul well, he, he will witness to them and he will speak the Word of God boldly to them. And I, I can just imagine this. The guards rotated every six hours. So a new guard comes in every six hours. Now these guards, I'm sure, no matter what they, how their feelings were towards Paul, they went home and talked about this Roman citizen. Paul's case was peculiar. He wasn't in there for a regular crime. He wasn't in there for murder or theft. But he was in there for preaching about this guy that died. He was taken in for some odd reason. Why, why is he even in jail? That's what some people were thinking. I'm sure these guards went home and told everybody else, told their family, told their friends. Paul was a Roman citizen. We, we, must, we must get a grasp on that. He was a Roman citizen and he was in a Roman prison. And so we must get a grasp on the fact that these guards did go about telling others. And everyone else had an effect. This is, this is just a normal reaction because Paul's case was significant. It was different than most of the other people. What's so important about this guy that he's, he's, guard, he's, he's shackled to this Roman guard and people are guarding him day and night. What's so important about this guy? Now, we see that in Paul's circumstances, while he's chained to this Roman guard and all this jazz, we can see that this doesn't look like it's progress, does it? We can see in retrospect from reading the text that it did create progress, but in human terms, in the way we look at things, would we say, oh, that guy got put in jail. Yeah! That, there's going to a lot of progress that's going to come from that. You know? Human terms, humanly speaking, is that how we look at things? I don't. I don't know about you guys. You probably do. But I know most of the time I do not. This is significant because it shows that God's ways are different than our ways. God works differently than we do. Isn't this true? Yes, it is. We see a situation and we say, oh, that's a failure. We can even try and rationalize it in some way that oh, maybe something good will come of that. But we still, in the back of our mind, think that's a failure. But God sees a situation and He says, oh, I see a pathway for the progress of the Gospel. If only we could think like that more. If only we could think like that more. This, is, this whole situation reminds us of the idea of an oxymoron. Does it not? Paul's imprisonment and progress. The Bible says that if, human, if we say you are weak, God says you are strong. 
Now, when I was talking, when I was practicing delivering the sermon, making sure of the length and stuff, I was delivering this to my family, and this whole idea of blood, okay? Blood is kind of, if we think about it, blood is kind of a gross thing, right? And I guarantee you almost all of us have gotten blood on something we own. Raise your hand if you've cut yourself just a little bit, got it on your pants, you've nicked up your knee. It stains. It's hard to get out, isn't it? But the Bible says that blood cleanses us. The blood of who? The blood of Jesus Christ. It's the blood of Christ Jesus that brings us righteousness. Isn't that odd? If you really think about it? And ultimately, the ultimate example of this is that Christ Jesus had to die to bring us life. Death brought life. This is how God works. This isn't how we work. This is how God works. Now, that saying, God works in mysterious ways. Is this not true? I think it's true. God truly does work in mysterious ways. His ways are different than our ways. And we, we just cannot fathom the way God works. Now, before we move on to the next section, I want to really think about this. this. When Paul opens his letter and he says, Now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the Gospel. Let's really think about this. Paul was in prison. We've covered this a lot already. But how, how do our circumstances, how can that further the progress of the Gospel? How do we handle trials? How do we handle suffering in our life? Because we can learn from this text that obviously how we handle trials, how we handle suffering, has an effect on those around us. In the same way that Paul, how he handled his situation, his scenario, it had, an, it had a major impact on those guards. It, and it says everyone else. Whether they were all coming to Christ or not, it still had an impact on them. So how we handle our situations, how we handle trials and suffering, does have an effect, effect on others. You choose how you're going to handle the situation you're in today or tomorrow. No matter what it is, how you handle a situation has an effect on the progress of the Gospel. It's a personal testimony. It's something we really need to think about. I really need to think about a lot in my life. There's, I coached this early morning swimming thing. It's called Master Swimming. And I get up at 4.30 every day. I usually leave my apartment around 5 or so. And just about every day, I go and get a refill on the coffee mug I have. And there's no reason I should get that at 5 o'clock in the morning, I know. But I get a refill on this. And there's a guy in there. This hit me last night. There's a guy in there. I talk to him every single day. I talk to him every single day. Super nice guy. But I, I, I can say that he's not saved, I believe. And 
I walk in there and I, I don't say anything about the Lord. I don't, I don't do, say anything about the Gospel. That's the situation God sovereignly is putting me in. I'll see Him again on Monday. The question is, will I choose to share? Will I choose to respond to this situation in a way that progresses the Gospel? That's something we each have to ask ourselves. How do we respond to the situations, the suffering, and the trials in our life? Because it does have an effect on those around us. And we can't deny that. And now we come to the effect it had upon the brethren. Now, who are these brethren? Before I even read the text, who are these brethren? I often read this text and I read the, uh, the brethren. Um, yeah, the people in Philippi, right? No, the people in Rome. It was obviously the people in Rome. So the effect it had on the brethren was this, that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord, because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the Word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the Gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. <laughs> now that we know who the brothers were, the brethren in Rome, what were their attitudes to Paul when he got to Rome? What were their attitudes? Some were good, some were bad. We obviously see two groups. We see the people with the impure motives and we see people with the pure motives. Paul's in prison and he's doing the work of God while in prison. And yet these groups are out there. What are they doing? There's one good group and the other, good group, uh, the other bad group. They're out there preaching out of selfish ambition. They're out there preaching out of envy and strife. Looking to move their self forward. Some of these individuals, I'm sure, we know that the church had been established before Paul got there in Rome. We know that there was already an established church. Now, I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about a congregation of people. It comes from ecclesia. The Greek word ecclesia means gathering, assembly, um, coming together. That's what I'm talking about. Now, we can, we can assume that there was already leadership. We can assume that there were individuals who took on the role of preaching, teaching. We can assume that a lot of them were witnessing. We can assume that people were set and they were rotating, maybe houses. Oh, yeah, we'll hold it tomorrow, your church, your house. Then the next day the church will be at my house. But what were their attitudes to Paul when he got there? This man, this man of God, comes into Rome, and we know as soon as he got there, he begins to proclaim the Word of God. What were their attitudes towards him? Were they, ah, oh, Paul's here. Let's go help him. Or were they, oh, Paul's here. You're not going to talk about me as much. Oh, Paul's here. 
Can't you just imagine that? I mean, I, whenever people come into my life, I knew people. Sometimes I do the same thing. Even though it's completely different than this, I know, but I can just imagine these people. You know, oftentimes I refer to Billy Graham because I absolutely, I, I look up to Billy Graham a lot. He's a pretty amazing man and he's done a lot for the, the progress of the gospel. Okay? I, I look up to him and I, I read about him and I study the revivals and the events that took place in his life and I see those and they inspire me. They drive me, they motivate me to want to do more. But the question is, why do I want to do those things? Why do I want to do what I do for God? The first half of the verse says that most of the brethren, trusting the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the Word of God without fear. Those are the good guys. Okay? That's a pure motive of Billy Graham inspiring me to go and do the work of God for God. And then, the second half, some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife. The latter do it, no, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. Now, we can see these two groups in Paul's life, and can't you just see that Paul's in prison surrounded by his people? And every Christ believer today is still surrounded by these two groups. We're still surrounded by those who do things out of impure motives, and we're still surrounded by those that do things out of pure motives. Praise God to them. And this is not just outside the church. This is within the church also, isn't it? Some would say, oh, if they're in church and they're, and they're doing the work of God, there's no way they're doing it selfishly. Uh, there, it happens. Believe me. It happens. And this is something that I have to look at. Before getting up here and preach, before getting up here and talking to you guys today, I had to think about, why am I getting up there? Why? Why do I want to get up there and share? Is it for the progress of the gospel? Or is it so that I'll be in front of people talking and have authority? It's something we need to ask ourselves every day. And finally, when we see these two groups, we need to ask ourselves, how do we handle these two groups in our lives? What is the effect they have on us? In the same way that Paul is in prison, he's got the guard there. They're both influencing each other. In the same way, we've got these two groups of people surrounding us in our lives. Most likely throughout the rest of our life, we'll have these people. Are we going to let those who selfishly preach Christ, selfishly do things, or are we going to let those out of pure motives do things for Christ affect us? Now, one big problem with a lot of preachers and it, this is a known fact for almost all the great preachers and, and speakers of time throughout the Christian era, is that they almost always go through a deep, dark time of depression. 
And this is, is, this is the question. Is Paul going to let this affect him negatively? Is he going to let those people who are out there preaching impure, out of impure motives preach him effect- negatively? Is he going to let them make him pity himself? No. What does Paul say? What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Isn't Paul a pretty amazing guy? Let's get an amen if Paul's awesome. Amen. Uh, yeah. Nobody else? Come on. He can say this. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? We, we need to say this in our lives too, I think. What then, that in every way, whether I like that person or not, what then, in every way, whether I think they're a good person or not, Christ is proclaimed, whether pretense or in truth. Now the elephant in the room from this passage. The, the big thing in the middle that a lot of people go right around is the question. What is your motivation for doing what you do for God? This is the kicker. Why do you do what you do for God? What is your motivation? It's tough. You know what Paul says? He says, you know what? No matter why you're doing it, God's work is going to be done. No matter why you're doing it, God's work is going to be done. And this is, this is true. Isaiah says there will always be a remnant of my people. It's, it's repeated by Paul in Romans. God's work will be done. How many people in the history of the world have said, oh, within a hundred years, Christianity will be stomped out. It will not be seen again. No, they were wrong, weren't they? No, they were wrong. No matter why you do what you do, God's work will be done. We need to dig deep and look into ourselves and ask God and pray to God to purify our motives. To clarify our motives. We need to ask God, why am I doing this for you, God? Why do I go to work during the day and talk about you? Do I do it so people will look at me like I'm a good Christian person? Or am I doing it to glorify you? To give you the praise? That I might bring somebody a little bit closer to Christ We need to examine ourselves. We need to. We need the Holy Spirit to examine ourselves and to chip away the rough edges of our, of our personality, of our, of our being. We need the Holy Spirit's help and we need to pray to God for His help. Because we can't do it. That's kind of what stinks. We need God's help to do it. We can't do it, but oh, how glorious that is that God will help us. That is pretty awesome. Now, to the text of the next verse. Yes, 
and I will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything. Now, this verse, I love how Paul writes. I took a Paul class, and I learned a lot in there, actually. We got a different spin on some stuff. This is from Missouri State. I really enjoyed it. And Paul, the more I study Paul, the more I realize this guy is smart. This guy knows where to put his words, what words to use. And I love how he puts this verse. Turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. The Spirit of Jesus Christ through your prayers. You know, you, we, we have to know that the Philippians were praying for Paul. He cared about him deeply. He cared about them. The whole first chapter is Paul talking about his prayer for them. That they would have wisdom and knowledge and discernment. And we know that those Philippians were praying for Paul because they cared about him. They cared deeply about him. Otherwise, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have, given, they wouldn't have given this tangible, sacrificial support. So we, if we know somebody that needs support, we know somebody that needs help, what do we need to do? We need to pray, and this is a hard thing for us to do. It's a hard thing for me to do. And I just love how Paul puts it. I'm going to read it one more time so we can really think about it, why he puts it in the place he does. We'll turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Why does Paul put that right here? The provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. No matter what our circumstances are, no matter where we're at in our life, no matter what we're going through, the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ will get us through it. Is that not true? The provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He puts this at the end of this text. I just love that. Because since he's saying, hey, I'm in prison. I'm, I'm, I'm not comfortable. But you know what? God's going to get me through it through the Spirit of Jesus Christ and your prayers. I just love that. I love how Paul puts that. I absolutely love it. I just, if you've really studied Paul, you'd realize he does this all over the place. He puts words and he puts phrases and they're just the right spot to where you, once you realize it, or once the Holy Spirit shows it to you, you're just like, wow, he's good. <laughs> Alright. According to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Hmm. What is our hope? If we have the Spirit of Jesus Christ, it will give us hope till the end, and we just have to hold on to that. And we don't necessarily know what's going to happen with our circumstances, do we? No, we don't. That's the thing about what we were talking about earlier. God's different than us. We can see the past and we can see the present. And a lot of times, only part of that. Some, 
I, I, a lot of times, have a very narrow view. We can see the past and the present, but God can see the future. And we don't know what's going to happen to our circumstances. Paul says, whether by life or by death, Christ will be exalted. Is this not significant? And the next part of the verse, Paul's talking about, he doesn't know if he's going to make it back to the Philippians or not. He says, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He doesn't know what's going to happen to him. Paul's not a man waiting a trial right now. Paul's a man waiting a verdict. A sentence. He's waiting for either, oh, I'm a dead man, or oh, you're free. Go ahead. He's waiting for this. He's writing all this to us. It's pretty amazing. God's done a lot through this guy. We don't know the outcome of our circumstances. So we need to pray, rely on the Spirit of Jesus Christ, and have an earnest expectation and hope. Now this whole thing with, I will not be put into shame in anything. This, I have to tell you, this is taken multiple different ways. Some say that Paul is speaking here of, he's not going to be shamed on his earthly sojourn at all. He won't, he won't be put to shame in anything. The reason he's saying that is because he doesn't think he's going to be executed. So, that's one view. The other view is that Paul here is saying that in, eternal, in his eternal viewpoint, when he stands at the judgment of God, he will not be put to shame in anything. I want us to back up to verse 111. Having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Uh, one more verse back. My apologies. So that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. The day of Christ. What is this? The day of Christ. Paul uses it a couple times in this letter. In the New Testament, the word for second coming often used by Paul is parousia. And this word denotes a second coming, presence, be here again, the day of Christ. It almost denotes this whole idea of, the, of appearing before Him. A judgment. Okay? Now, I'm not saying that's how I'm taking this verse, but I think it can be taken both ways. Paul's saying, you know, whether, you kill, whether I die or whether I live, I'm not going to be put to shame. I know what I'm doing. God's shown me what I'm doing. This, is, this, is, this cause is in Christ. I'm not going to be put to shame. And then finally, the last verse, the second half of the last verse says, Be exalted in my body, whether by, life, whether by life or by death. Now, I'm not much on changing Scripture, okay? So I'm not trying to change this or anything. But couldn't this read? See that with all boldness, Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body whether by wealth or by poverty, 
Christ will be exalted by whether by comfort or persecution, whether by sickness or health. I think Paul would agree. I truly do. Now, there are a few principles as we're closing that I think are very important that we recognize. The first is that the progress of the Gospel of God is more important than our circumstances. We have to recognize this. We have to be willing to put ourselves aside for the progress of the Gospel. The second is that God works through our circumstances. This is notable, this is, this is noticeable throughout the entire text. Isn't it? Paul's in prison, yet the gospel's progressing. This is very noticeable. That's the second principle. The third is that we must live a life exalting Christ because we don't know what our circumstances are going to bring. We must live a life exalting Christ. Because we don't know what's going to happen to us tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen to us when we leave this building. We must exalt Christ in everything that we do. He must be the center of our world. Now the next thing I want to... It's just a little illustration. And this, I wanted to share this with you because I really think it ties in well to this whole text. And the reason that Seth and I have been getting together a lot lately is that we're trying to plan these, like you said last week, open-air speaking sessions where we're going to give messages out in public. And we've been trying to work on the idea of going, setting up an old-style revival. And how do we reach this community? How do we reach out and show them the love of Christ? All right, the example, the illustration, is that imagine a man, imagine a man who puts a lot of work into a box. And he fills, he does all the work. He, and then he fills it with dynamite. Okay? Uh oh. Where are we going with this? He fills it with dynamite, and he even makes the dynamite everything that goes with it. He puts it in the box about the size of that speaker. Okay? Then he takes it into a room with hundreds of people. What's going on here? <laughs> okay? And then he lights it, and it explodes. Is that going to have an effect on everybody? Yes, it's going to have an effect. And it's going to have a lasting effect on each individual in that room. Now, that, this, this whole thing, I truly believe without, through, through this text, we can see that this is why the Apostle Paul would say, For I am not ashamed of the Gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also the Greek. Romans 1.16 Now this word, the power of God unto salvation, comes from the Greek word dunamis. And this is where we get our word dynamite. Okay? It's pretty cool. But, in the same way that that box would have a lasting effect on everybody around them, the Gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Okay? God put a lot of work into the Gospel. He gave His Son... He sacrificed Jesus Christ on a cross. He had a lot of work into this. Did He not? That is the Gospel. That Jesus Christ died for our sins on a cross. Rose again to bring us life. This is the Gospel. It's a little more complex than that. But, not much. 
In the same way that that box would have an effect on every single, all those hundreds of people in that room, if you allow the gospel to be unleashed, if you constantly put it in contact with people, it is the power, the dunamis, the dynamite of God's salvation to everyone around it. And we have to do that. It's our duty. We need to share Christ. We need to reach out. Do we not? I believe we do. I think God's Word would agree. And that is Philippians. Let us pray. pray. Dear Lord, we come before You and I just thank You for Your Word. And it is so amazing the people that You use. It is so amazing that You can use the Apostle Paul while he is in prison, while he has chains. Lord, we just pray that You would use us. You would work through our circumstances. We pray that in our circumstances we would respond well in a Christ-like manner that would exalt Christ, whether by life or by death, and that we would have this attitude of Jesus Christ and of Paul for the progress of the Gospel. Lord, I just pray that You would work in our hearts. I pray that we would take from this message what You want us to take. I pray that the Holy Spirit would hold on to what it is You want us to learn from this message and from Your Word. And Lord, most of all, just thank You for the Gospel. I thank You for the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on the cross. And Lord, I just thank You for every single thing You've ever done for us. And let us take to heart the illustration. Let us unleash the Gospel upon Springfield. Let us draw people closer to You. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.